Well, uh, I was stuck today, you know, this last, because of all the things I wanted to share with you, it was like at least two messages long. And you can imagine it, uh, the stuff I've been preparing actually could be several messages because we teach on this topic from time to time, obviously. Uh, but it's very disheartening what has been taking place, of course, but we know it's on the prophetic calendar. And uh, we are pre- preparing to go there. We're supposed to go there in a few weeks. And they're not accepting people right now. And, and if we were able to get in, uh, it could be very dangerous where we're going. And uh, which I was still thinking, you know, maybe it was a small crew we could bring or something like that. Uh, but the roads are going to be closed, many of them, checkpoints everywhere. So we won't be able to do our documentary. And we're going to do our documentary on Israel and prophecy, which not only has to do with past prophecy that's being fulfilled, but with uh, prophecy that, you know, has been fulfilled and prophecy that will be fulfilled. And uh, also how, you know, I've shared with some of you, we want it to be a very interesting video because we, wanted, we were going to be there at Sodom and Gomorrah and show you that this thing was disseminated with sulfur, fire and brimstone. Yet there's no volcanoes anywhere around. They don't know how it happened. Well, we know how it happened, amen. And how that's a picture, the Bible says, of the end of days and how it'll be like Sodom and Gomorrah again. Days a lot, right? And show you the past, what's happened, what's happening in the future, where the world's at now, and just give a lot of snapshots. So we had a very interesting concept in mind that would keep people engaged, especially non-believers too, so they could see God's prophetic plan and also understand Israel's place in God's economy, which the world doesn't understand at all. You have a lot of hatred for Israel right now. There's been a little bit of compassion. I'm thinking of the media now for a moment's time, but that will vanish. I've been saying that from the very, right when this happened, I go, just give it some time. The media is going to start showing pictures of their response in Gaza. And that's all you're going to see. For, for, by, and a lot of people are going to forget what happened. You know, Hopefully a lot of, some of the media will step up and say, hey, look what they're responding to. But what will happen is people will start to become more and more angry at Israel. For sim- they're in a, what seems like an impossible situation right now, isn't it? If you don't respond, what happens? They get wiped out eventually. If you do respond, the hatred around the world toward you just grows, which is heartbreaking. So uh, they've been in impossible situations before. I think they were, had their backs to the Red Sea one time. Don't worry. God's got a plan. Amen. Uh, so uh, we, keep, we stay in prayer. So I, I decided to divide this message up into two parts, uh, both very engaging. Uh, both you have to use your brain a lot, because if I try to squeeze everything I want to say into one message, I feel like I'd lose a lot of people real quick. Because there's some very important questions that need to be answered as to, you know, what right uh, is, is, is what some are calling or believing is the nation of Palestine. You know, there's no nation of Palestine, right? It's a, it's a, it's a strip, it's a territorial area that belonged to Israel for thousands of years, you know. Uh, but people treat it as though it's a nation and, and who is Hamas and things of that nature. But I want to get all these prophecies too. So I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to divide it in. I've been praying about it. Lord, what's the best way to, to, to do this? And my conviction is to explain Hamas, explain what's going on there a little bit, ex- and talk about some of the prophecies that have, have come to pass, right? Have come to pass. But next time, look at the prophecies uh, and also the hatred and how Satan has tried to destroy Israel over and over again for a very important reason. Uh, that'll be next week's message. So there'll be two parts to this message, and you'll get way more out of it that way. Uh, otherwise, you know, it's going to be like scattershot, and you'll be like edified and like, whoa, that's a trip. It all makes sense, but it'll make more sense if we go through this twice. Because this is, you know, that war. And that war was a 50-year anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, on purpose, 1973. 
And I was like 10 years old when that happened. And this, this was planned, the 50th anniversary and so forth. And, and a lot of times, you know, people want to make one side all evil and one side all innocent. There's, it's more complex than that as well. You see, I'm not saying that Hamas is innocent in any way, absolutely zero. But you have to see God's prophetic plan and what God is doing. It's, it's just a really a blow mind when you look at this. So, uh, so God has got a prophecy. And he took Abraham... A lot of people don't even know why the Jews are there, how they got there, what claim they would have to the land, and, and so forth. And by the way, anybody can claim any land, right? And you know many of the lands that are occupied right now are by settlers that came from other nations, and other, other nations were dispossessed. Well, God made a promise to Abraham, a land promise. What really matters is what God says, amen? And what, matter, what really matters is, well, somebody can say, my God said this, and your God says that. No, the, the, the true God, the God, God that created the universe, the God that can prove that he's God by telling the end from the beginning. Because he says in Isaiah 46.10, that I declare unto you the end from the beginning, and from ancient times what shall come to pass. You know, And he says that, that his purposes will stand. They won't be thwarted. Amen? And he says he proves that he's the one true God. And he specifically says this in Isaiah 46 and Isaiah uh, 47 as well. He talks about in Isaiah 44, he talks about, consider my ancient nation, Israel. Are you able to tell her future? That's what blows me away. As a new Christian, knowing that Satan was real, getting on my knees saying, I want to follow you, the one true God, whoever you are, but I believe you're, I believe you're the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all the stuff I was channeling before when I was a new ager and all that stuff was antichrist. And then I realized I was in touch with demons. I'm like, what in the world? I want to follow the right God. I was just ignorant. And I turned to Jesus and God totally delivered me and put his Holy Spirit in me, made me new. And I opened his word. And he said he can prove that he's the one true God through prophecy. That he clears the end from the beginning. You know, he says to them in Isaiah 47 a little bit later, you know, uh, you know seek out your astrologers. He's saying that uh, sarcastically. They can't even deliver themselves from the flames, the judgment that's coming. You know, Nostradamus, who's considered like probably the most prophetic guy in the occult, got so many of his so-called quatrains wrong, you know, and the ones that he gets right are so ambiguous, you could never really tell what he was saying, you know, uh, for the most part, right? And then he even warns his son, you can, you can just take up on your computer, don't do it right now, Nostradamus' letter to his son where he warns his son not to follow in his footsteps because you'll inherit eternal perdition. Ooh, isn't that interesting? Well, God promises us, our God promises us eternal life, amen? amen? We have the one true God. He's a God of prophecy. And in, Daniel chapter, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, and in Genesis chapter 19, he takes Abraham from among the pagans, from among the idol worshipers, a man that wants to serve the one true God. And he promises he'll give him a land, Amen. And it will be that land that will be flowing with milk and honey. And that's the way he relates it to Moses uh, later. Uh, and he promises him that land. He promises that uh, he'll give him this land. But through him and his seed, there will be a person, a Messiah, that will come forth through his seed. That's the Messiah. All the nations of the world would be blessed. So some people think, Israel, well, why God, would God just have one nation that he loves? And Well, no, he loves all people. God so loved the world, Amen. But he chooses Abraham, that through him his seed can come, Messiah, and through his seed all the nations can be blessed. Amen? Anybody that would come to the Messiah, that's all of us, Gentiles and Jewish believers, amen, have been saved through the Messiah. That was always God's plan. And it's important to understand that 
But when he brought him into the land, he, he, gave him a pic, he let him you know, go into the land a little bit, and then, but he wasn't going to settle him there ultimately uh, until as far as, as, as a nation that would uh, officially become, uh, with all of his descendants there, until, after, uh, until the Exodus. And then God, God brought them into the promised land to actually take the land. And God was dispossessing the wicked nations that lived in that land, who were always you know, warring with each other, uh, were committing bestiality, having sex with animals, were sacrificing their children through the fire, burning them to death, uh, worshiping demon gods, doing all sorts of wicked things. And God has the right. He owns the earth, amen? The earth belongs to the Lord and the fullness thereof. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. You know, if you ran out of home and someone's committing bestiality and they're burning their children, well, hopefully they'll go to prison, right? And you won't have to get them out, but you say, hey, out of my home. This is God's land. And he told the Jews in Deuteronomy 8, chapter 18, verses 9 through 12, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God shall give thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, right? Or that uses divination or a witch or a charmer or consulted with familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God is driving them out from before thee. Okay, and he told them to drive these people out and not to make pacts or deals, peace deals with anybody in the land, which they sometimes got tricked, like by the Gibeonites, made a deal with them. Uh, and they dispossessed many of those nations. And by the way, I've seen some of the law codes of some of those nations. They're historically preserved for us. And you have all these wicked things they allow, you know, that reflect what God was getting coming down on. And then the Lord said, if you do the same things those nations are doing, I'll dispossess you of the land. But he always promised that he'd bring them back into the land because of his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? And because he'd always have a remnant, those that would fear him and love him. And there would be a mixed multitude, even in, in Israel to this day, there is. So it's quite interesting. We've had the privilege of being to Israel several times uh, via Ted Walker and and Linda, who uh, consider this their fellowship, but they've been in Israel for several decades. Ted's part Jewish, uh, and just uh, beautiful people. We love you guys. They're, they're always with us, not in spirit, but, I mean, in heart, you know. Uh, and uh, it's, it's been quite a beautiful thing because I've been able to meet people that you wouldn't normally meet and be able to discuss things you wouldn't normally be able to discuss and, and be able to get, uh, you know, just blessed uh, by a wealth of uh, information through the years. And many of you have been on our tours. Our tours aren't like your typical church tours, you know. We had a girl jump on our tour one time, and she was like, actually, it was Ted's, Ted's sister. She goes, she was just at the end of her tour, and she's like, she's, she goes, how come I wasn't able to get all this on my last tour? How come they didn't go into depth? So if, you, if I'm saying this as kind of advertisement, uh, you're like, advertisement? We don't want to go to Israel right now. No, we're planning on going 2025. So we're going to keep praying about it. We don't know if that'll happen because, you know, unless the Lord gives very clear vision or something, like it can't go. Uh, but that's our plan at this point, and hopefully things will be settled down by then. Uh, well, what if the tribulation started then? Well, praise God. What a place to be, man. That means if you're in Judea, you flee to the mountains, and God feeds you for 1,260 days, and it's pretty cool, you know. Oh, you might be beheaded, too. They might catch you first, so who knows. But that's great, too, because to be absent from the body is to be what? Present of the Lord. That's a good deal, too, you know? So we want to look uh, at the scriptures, and God's promise promised them to give them that land. 
and he proves he's the one true God. You guys, this is an opportunity. Don't look at it as, when, when Israel comes up, I was talking to Travis last night, and we had a great talk about, and he's saying this is an opportunity where he's able to talk to his friends that don't know Christ and who aren't believers, you know, uh, about Israel and God's promise to Israel becoming a nation and so forth and, and then bringing them back into the land. And he says some of their eyes are getting wider. They're, they're like, wow, that makes making sense, you know. And uh, it's such an, a great time to be able to use what the enemy means for evil. God uses for good, amen? We are a prophetic people. So uh, it's interesting because if you look at the scriptures, I'm going to read a scripture to you. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 32. Now learn this parable, Jesus says, from the fig tree. From the fig tree. Learn a parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, these end time events, uh, know that it is near even at the doors. Now, this is very interesting. That's 32 and 33. Jesus, when he's giving the end time scenario, because a lot of people are like, is this the end times and so forth? Ooh, it's definitely a harbinger of the end times, no doubt about it. You'll see what, the, what I'm saying by that. Are we in the tribulation period? I, I don't believe we're in the tribulation period. Is it speeding toward? Yeah, absolutely, no doubt about it, because these are the things that are prophesied to happen. These are the birth pains. Okay, uh, they're supposed to be, uh, keep in mind, in the end, all the nations, they hate Israel, and they surround Israel to destroy her. And all the nations hate Christians. Well, that's been happening for years, right? And Israel has been happening for years, but guess what? The anti-Semitism around the world is growing like never before, right now, before eyes. And they haven't even begun to show all the pictures of Israel trying to get, root out Hamas, who is the rulership of, of, of the Gaza Strip, the Palestinian people. And they've got to root them out. Otherwise, they're just going to... This is a coordinated event, you know. Keep in mind, Hamas is a subsidiary of Iran. Okay, nobody doubts that. You know, what right, right, trying to, you know, they're discussing right now is how much Iran may or may not have had a part in planning with Hamas this. But we know that Hamas is funded by Iran. We know that they're trained by Iran. We know that they're a subsidiary of Iran, okay, who wants to just... Many of their leaders, they want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Hamas wants the destruction of Israel. That's in their charter, and I'm going to quote from their charter during this message, what they state, because this isn't being heard by most people that listen to mainstream news. They don't realize that Hamas's utter objective is to destroy every Jew in Israel and, and claim all the land of Israel from themselves, claiming that it's their land, which is a lie. And we're going to get into some of the history uh, of this and so forth. But it's interesting that Jesus uses the fig tree as a picture, because the fig tree, historically, has been a symbol of who? Israel. Amen. Absolutely. In Jeremiah chapter 24, uh, the first verses, he talks about good figs and bad figs being put before the temple. And he takes up the big figs and says, these are a picture of the, of the Israelis that are you know, walking with God and so forth. In Hosea chapter 9, verse 10, like the first fig of the fig trees in its first season, I saw your fathers. So he saw the Jews and the fathers of Israel as figs. Well, does that mean Jesus is using Israel as a picture? I do believe partially that's what's going on there because I believe that context reveals that because in chapter 22, in chapter 23 of Matthew chapter 24, before you get to Jesus' fig tree reference in Matthew chapter 24, when he's talking about end of days, he's talking to the Jewish leaders. He's warning them because they're rejecting their Messiah. Eventually, they will hand him over to be crucified right after this. And what does he do? He goes up to a tree, a fig tree, which has no fruit on it, and he curses it. 
You never see Jesus use his miraculous powers in a destructive way, except right there. Now, he will use them, you know, subsequent and before that time uh, as God, before he became flesh. And then when he comes back, it says he'll destroy the Antichrist with the, the breath of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. He'll just go, that's how powerful our God is, man. Amen. That's all he has to do. He didn't have to get in a big old wrestling match. Who's going to tap out first? Now he's going, fire. He spoke the universe into existence. Everything was created by him and nothing was made but by Jesus. Amen. And he's the one that founded the Jewish nation. Amen. And he came through, God became a flesh through the seed of Abraham. And he is the seed that brings liberation through his death. So he curses the fig tree. And then guess what? He, he relates it to his rebuke of Israel, the Jewish leaders. And how not one stone will be left on their, on their... And then he goes into that whole thing about not one stone will be left on another, you know. And so it's very important to understand the context. In fact, he said, you've rejected me. And he said, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, amen. Which is so important because so many of our... Uh, the post-mill, many post-millennialists, maybe many preterists, they, oh, God's done with Israel. They believe in what's called replacement theology, that the church is now Israel, that all the promises that were to the Jews are now ours, and what's happening in Israel right now, that's just an anomaly. It's just a coincidence. Those people don't even exist anymore in God's eyes. It's called replacement theology. We're Israel now. We get all their promises, and we're the church, and you know what? Paul warns about that in Romans chapter 11 by, by the Gentiles saying, we're the chosen people now. We're, he said, don't be high-minded, but fear for if God did not spare the natural branches, he won't spare you, right? He want, and he says, don't be conceited. Because he, if, if you don't continue in faith, you'll be cut off. Then he talks about if they don't continue in their unbelief, God's able to what? Graft them back in again. And he says, even so, all Israel will be saved. saved. Amen. God's not done with Israel. And I've got like five texts or so I want to bring to you on that, but I'm not going to do that until our next message. We'll look at some of that because we need to deal with what's going on in the future and where it's all headed. And we're going to be talking about that right now as well to a degree. But I want to look at many of the prophecies that talk about the future of Israel. But right now we're talking about prophecies that have been fulfilled and so forth and are being fulfilled right now, uh, today. So it's interesting, when you witness to Jews, one of the things I like to say when I'm witnessing, uh, if I'm talking to a Jewish person, is in Daniel 9, it talks about the coming of the Messiah. And it says the Messiah will be cut off. And when you're talking to a Jew, it's a very powerful passage to use because it talks about, now the temple, uh, <laughs> you know, that was when they were in Diaspora, right? They're in Babylonian captivity in the times of Daniel, amen? And they're going to go back into their land, he says, right? And Daniel's crying, when, Lord, it's the 70 years that you prophesied that we'd be in captivity of the Babylonians is about up, you know? And then an angel appears to him and lets him know, yeah, you know, it is, but, you know, you're going to go back in the land, they're going to rebuild the temple. And then he says, that temple will be destroyed. And, that and that's what happened in 70 AD. But he says, this is what's crazy. He says the Messiah will be cut off. Then the sanctuary will be desecrated. That's every stone would be lying in another. And Jesus referenced the prophecy of Daniel in Matthew 24 when he talked about you know, this whole thing going down. And it's interesting. He says the Messiah will be cut off. Then the temple will be what? destroyed, which happened in 780. That means whoever the Messiah is, he was around before the temple was destroyed. Amen? Amen. And that he was also cut off. Amen? 
and actually gives the actual date of when that would happen, which we don't have time to get into, uh, which is right when Christ came and was crucified. <laughs> you know, 69 sevens, you know, Sh Shabuah. Uh, sh uh, so it's interesting, Shabuim. So it's interesting when you look at this, it's exact, God's always on schedule. In the fullness of times, it says, you know, the Messiah came forth. So it's really interesting when you look at this whole thing. This is, so Jesus knows what's going to go down. He knows he's going to be cut off. He came to die after all for our sins. And he knows that the temple is going to be destroyed. He's God in the flesh. And that's exactly what happened. But it was also, keep in mind, there's disciplinary measures coming from the one true God. They rejected their Messiah. But he has a remnant. And a lot of people miss that. They just want to say, oh, we, we, you got to be careful and not think, well, all the Jews are saved because they're part of Israel. No, nah. -uh. You have to come to Jesus to be saved. Amen. But the Lord is patient with them, amen? And even as Joseph's brothers, Joseph was a picture of Jesus, right? Rejected by his brothers who make up the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. They were hateful. They hated Joseph. They wanted the power for themselves, the authority, and you're not the guy with the many colors. I mean, he, and then Jesus is like that. He comes late on the scene. He's rejected by the 12 tribes, their descendants, amen? Any of those that were in the land at that time, some had not come back from Assyria yet, but many came back from the Babylonian captivity. Some from the other 12 tribes, like Paul's, you know. Uh, I mean, we see descendants of Asher, and we see Paul's a Benjamite, you know. It's not just uh, the strict Judeans, but that we're back in the land. But it's interesting when you think about this, guys, because this is exactly where we're supposed to be. So Jesus says... Now learn a parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Israel didn't even exist. She's the fig tree. Now the fig tree represents all these things that would come to pass. But one of the things that Jesus refers to is Israel becoming a nation again. He says every, yeah, in that same passage. You're right, Israel. In that same passage where you have, you know, not one stone will be sitting on another, he indicates the temple will be rebuilt. Because in the future, the Antichrist, he says, or the abomination will take place in the temple, in Jerusalem, showing that it will be rebuilt, subsequent to its destruction. So Israel will be back in the land. And when you see the fig tree becoming fruitful again, which I understand means Israel to become what? A nation again. And that happened when? In 1948. May 14, 1948. You know, not that long ago. Some of you were alive then. I'm not looking anyway, but you know. <laughs> I was 15 years later. I was born. So hey, that would just make you 75. So you're still a young buck these days. Uh, well, kind of, you know. Relative to Methuselah. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm getting up there. I'm joking about myself too. I just turned 60. But, uh, but anyway, think about it, guys. That's just nuts. And they become a country again. The fig tree began to bud, you know. Some started counting right from then, 40 years, man. We have only 40 years left because a generation is 40 years. No, a generation is not necessarily 40 years. I can show you in the Bible where a generation could also be 100 years. But I can also show you, which I did when we did one of our a Good Fight radio shows, that when Jesus talks about a generation, this wicked and adulterous generation, that is how God stigmatized purposely the people of Israel way back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, 31, 32. He called them this, like, like a wicked, adulterous generation, those who would reject him. And what that became was a term that Jesus used over and over again of the character of what Israel had become in their sin and that that would not pass away. They would not pass away from being that people, right, until all these things would come to pass because that would be Jacob's trouble. God would bring tribulation, right? 
and allow it and even bring punishment uh, on his people to bring them to repentance by the end of the tribulation. And that attitude would persist until they said, bless is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they finally look to Messiah. Right now they're looking to the United States, right? They're looking to their own ingenuity, their own, which they've got amazing ingenuity. So many Nobel, there's more Nobel Prize winners by far and away per person of any people group on the earth from the Jewish people. God's given them power to get wealth. He's given them certain things to preserve them as a nation. But those things could also corrupt you if you're not focused on fearing God. So we have this very complex type of situation. And that's what I wanted to achieve today. I want to make sure you understand there's some complexity here. So some people think, oh, you don't have to witness the Jews because they're already saved. I mean, there's very, one of the more popular prophecy teachers on Trinity Broadcasting Network, which I don't encourage you uh, to, to watch, you know, most popular so-called Christian network because it has a lot of word faith people on it and so forth. People said, I heard you on there. You were on the... Tr-. Yeah, that's because I've been played. People play my videos and stuff or they sold their souls so people hear my voice and I didn't say, hey, I want to go on there, you know. I would go on there if they let me go on there and talk to their leaders in front of everybody and encourage them to repent from being money grabbers, you know. But I'm sorry, I'm going far afield. Anyway, anyway it's crazy when you think of this, you know, when you, when you, when you think of what's going on uh, when you think of the prophetic picture. So, so Israel is God's stop, is, is his basically, it's like a super sign becoming a nation again. Israel is uh, his, his prophetic clock. And when they became a nation again, the prophecies were always ticking, right? People coming to Christ, that's part of prophecy, with, you know, being witnesses to all the world. But man, then things kicked in gear again. And now you have this conflict on the Temple Mount where you have the Al-Aqsa Mosque and you have the Dome of the Rock and, and the declarations, Allah is God and he has no son. Ooh, that's all prophetic of like an Antichrist, the Antichrist spirit that's there. And you go to Israel. I, we've been on the Dome of the Rock. You're not or up on the Temple Mount. You're not allowed to bring your Bibles up there. And the Muslims run that, by the way. They police it. Jews don't typically go up there. We've been up there. I brought my Bible up there. We have a little Bible study reading quietly, you know, and then you get in trouble if they see you got a Bible up there and so forth. And you can hear the, you know, chanting and everything, the, the spooky Arabic calls to prayer in the morning, which Obama, by the way, in a New York Times interview said his favorite sound in the morning is the Islamic call to prayer. And by the way, Obama's foreign policy was all about ultimately uh, not, you know, it wasn't like the, 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 you know, those before him or even Trump after him. Uh, trying to tear to very strongly the Iranians from getting a bomb. They wanted to empower the Iranians to become a regional power uh, there. And his foreign policy leaders are the same, pretty much the same foreign policy leaders of Biden right now. And the Biden administration has been really reluctant to talk about Iran in this whole mix because we were unfreezing $6 billion for them, which just, you know, I, I read recently got refrozen. Uh, was it Qatar? Qatar? Uh, was supposed to be the intermediary, and I think that's been frozen. And they've been reluctantly coming out, you know. So it's all crazy what's going on. Why would you want Iran to be a regional power when, you know, they would love to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, and they're the ones funding Hezbollah in the north, where missiles are coming, by the way, as well, and then Hamas in the south, subsidiary groups that want the destruction of Israel. Now, it's interesting uh, when you look at this. So the fig tree is really interesting because it is Israel's, biblically, it's their national symbol. It represents them as a people. And when it buds and you see all these other things come past, you know the time is getting close. Uh, now what's interesting 
is you have to keep in mind that Israel can't have peace when you reject the Prince of Peace. Amen? In fact, listen to what Jesus said. Think, I mean, think of how wicked Hamas is, by the way. Gutting pregnant women and killing their babies, okay? Beheading little babies, okay? When my mom was here and I was great, you know, I've been able to see her, she's been out like four times, I think, this year, which is great. Uh, but she was like, you know, we were having lunch together when she first came and uh, it was a great time. But she's like, I can't see how anybody could know what's going on there and not want to do something about it, you know? And then she said, oh, but you know what? And she occurred to her as she's talking and she's almost 90, you know? And she's like, Sorry, Mom, for watching this. I'm not going to make you 90. She's going to be 88 in December. So I was rounded off. Sorry about that. You don't round off an old person. An older person. <laughs> we joke all the time together, so it's okay. Uh, but she's like, but you know what? They're killing babies all the time in our country. Yeah. They're, they're going to the womb and killing them by the millions. Our country's in trouble. I go, you're right. It's a great point, you know. They're an uproar. But the woke isn't really getting uproar over killing babies. They're all for killing innocent babies, you know. So the woke crowd, the liberals, that what, they, that what the Hamas has done, I don't know that they're actually moved by it, you know, the massacres. If you're, I've always said if you can kill little babies in the womb or you can, be, or you can say it's okay to kill millions of little babies in the womb, you, you, where's your conscience? How can you have a conscience about anything that goes on that's evil? Because that's the most innocent people being killed. And if you're watching by live stream, we love you. If you're, watching, you're here and you have that viewpoint, it's okay. I'm, I say it in love. Check your spiritual pulse because that's murder, man. That's, that's an, it's proven to be life. It's growing. Life grows. And it's not feline or canine life. It's human life that's growing. It's a human life that's being put to death. And the massacre, you know, the Hamas massacre, is, it was so horrific. No regard for life at all. No regard. Just, just, you guys have seen the film, the pictures. Absolutely wicked. Uh, I was going to show you some things today. I'm going to show you things next week. But so many of my guys, you know, uh, Josh has just been so crazy busy. So I'm like, I don't want to call Josh to get some things together. Uh, Tony is with us today. Good to see you, Tony, from all the way from Tennessee. Uh, I didn't want to put Tony to work on his little, because he's, he's working when he came out here. And I thought, oh, I don't want to load him down. And Tommy, I thought about using Tommy, but yeah, he was getting married yesterday. So <laughs> I thought, I can't use Tommy. So no, no films, no pictures, and so forth. I kind of use Jonathan, but he's always got his hands full back there, and he always gives me a few pictures. But I want to give some, search for some things and so forth. But we'll do that next week. But I want you to keep in mind, there's a bigger picture. When, Israel, when you reject the Messiah, okay, there's going to be consequences. And, uh, but God at the same time loves them. He knew, just as Joseph's brothers rejected him, right? And later he forgives them. God has a plan. They represent, they're the 12 tribes of Israel. They represent the 12 tribes. God has always had a plan for Israel. But listen to Luke chapter 19, verse 41. When he approached Jerusalem... He saw the city and wept over it. Why is Jesus weeping over Jerusalem? It's not long before his crucifixion here. Saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Actually, Jeremy, that was a good word you shared. You, you, Jeremy here sent me that scripture. And, uh, and it's just heartbreaking, but when you reject the Messiah and you say we're going to do it our own way, you leave yourself open to, and that's true of us individually. You're in, you know that. 
If you reject Jesus, man, you're not going to have peace in your life. If you're doing your own thing, you're going to have anxiety, you're going to have worry, and you're, God's going to discipline you if you're a child of God. If you're not, well, then you have his wrath. That's even worse. Discipline is to wake us up. His wrath is because we're under uh, his judgment. Uh, and listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. This is pretty heavy. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches, Paul writes the church of Thessalonica, of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, the Jewish leaders, and so forth, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. That's pretty heavy. It's a lot like what Jesus said, right? And we don't want to ignore those verses. But some people use those and say, oh, see, God's done with Israel. The wrath of God's come upon the utmost. And, you know, look what Jesus said. But at the same time, the Apostle Paul is really clear in Romans chapter 11 that God's not done with Israel, amen? And he has a plan. So I'm saying this, you got to read all the scriptures on a subject. And you go, okay, well, that's, okay, wait a minute, they're rejecting the Messiah right now. And on one hand, they're under, under judgment. But at the same time, God's, God loves them. His promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He knows that there will be a remnant. And there is there to this day, there's maybe a hundred or so uh, messianic congregations, Jewish congregations, that, people that love Jesus, you know. And uh, it's, it's just amazing when you look at the prophecies, you have to take all these into account. Now, this is a crazy thing. Jesus said you'd be dispersed around the world. That's, we call that the diaspora, okay? Uh, Israel was dispersed throughout all the world. God promised over and over and over again, we'll look at some of these prophecies next uh, week, over and over and over again, he promised that he would bring them back from these nations. And then on May 14th, 1948, now he's regathered some prior to that as well, obviously, when you look at what happened after the Babylonian captivity, but many did not come back. But it was in 1948. And by the way, this was what blows me away. He says that he would use the nations to bring them back. How could this even happen? And in 1948, May 14th, Israel, Resolution 181, had passed to recognize Israel's right to the land. And they began to stream back land. Now, there were still some Jews in the land, at that time, but they began to come back in droves. From, people have come back from Israel from 70 different nations. That's almost half the nations on the planet, all over the place. Now, uh, when you think about this, this is what blows me away about this. Think about this, guys. Uh, the scriptures state, you know, uh, that uh, in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8, who would have ever thought, right, that any, who would, did anybody ever think, it says, you know, or imagine or you know, thought or consider, you know, that Israel, this little Israel, well, he doesn't even tell us what's going on. He kind of asks it as a puzzle. And, I, and, and he basically says in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8, uh, you know, basically whoever thought of such a strange thing would ever happen. I mean, one, the NLT uses the term strange thing, but my mind keeps going to the other verse there. NLT says, Did any, who would have ever thought that such a strange thing would ever happen? In other words, there's a show out. I don't recommend it because it pushes a lot of occult themes called Stranger Things. 
Well, this is the strangest thing God says. It's God talking. You know, did anybody ever think the strangest thing would ever happen? Or did they ever see? Has everyone seen the strangest thing anybody ever see, he says. And then the next part of the verse, he's like, have ever heard? Uh, you know, so something that people have never heard of before. What's he talking about? Well, then he says, has a nation, right, ever been born in a single day? That's what he says. And he says, a country ever come forth in a mere moment? That's NLT. Ever, it ever come forth in a mere moment? No, there's no history of a nation all of a sudden from all these different other countries is becoming a country in a day. It's ridiculous. But guess what? The Lord says that, right, over 2,000 years before it happens. He's saying it as though it's happened. And they're in diaspora when Isaiah is giving this prophecy. That, Don't worry. And he goes on to say uh, about how God's going to do this. I mean, it's a supernatural thing. It's something that you don't see every day. It's something you've never seen before because God's going to do it. In a day. Anybody know of a nation where all these people came after being dispersed for you know, almost 2,000 years and become a country again? And, and there's scores of other prophecies that go along with that. In fact, he says that he would use the nations to bring them back because that would not happen. It, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't make any sense that it could happen without the help of a bunch of other nations. But wait a minute. There's been more resolutions. I don't know if you know this. There's been more resolutions against Israel by all the nations because of the hatred toward Israel than all the other nations combined on earth. That's been a stat that's been true for so many years off and on. It's, well, it's been true since 1915. There's way more resolutions against Israel by the United Nations than all the other nations combined. Did you see the... Remember when Russia went into Ukraine? They're still fighting that war. Brutal, absolutely brutal. Just destroying the entire nation they're trying to, right? Just, just kidnapping people, bringing them back into their land. And big old... They bring all oh, these big old metal rooms that they transport where they torture people, they incinerate them, they do all kinds of things. Have you seen any of the out outrage with people assembled all over the world against uh, Russia like you have against Israel? And Israel hadn't even gone into Hamas yet or so-called Palestine. Yet, right, uh, did you see a couple days ago? I don't know if you saw, all over the world there's, there's hatred and anger toward Israel. People holding up swastikas, Muslims saying, gas the Jews in Australia. Gas the Jews. Blank the Jews. Gas the Jews. The Holocaust, remember that? And they're just really, it's like, what in the world's going on? Well, guess what? In the end of days, you're going to have a nation, the Bible says, that all the nations are going to come against. That's Israel. The Bible's clear about that. You can see that, come on, guys, you have to put your hands over your eyes and your hands and fingers and ears to ignore that this is not normal for any nation. What other nation is hated like Israel around the world? Even after, you know, uh, we went through all kinds of attacks, which were kind of a mixed bag, actually, you know, from Muslims and so forth, there wasn't all these uproar around the world with, you know, but with Israel, yeah, because that's exactly what the Scripture says would happen. But prior to that, she'd become a nation again, which happened on May 14, 1948. And another translation says, Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be brought forth all at once? As soon as Zion, that's Israel, Jerusalem, and so forth, travailed. See, now that's interesting. She also brought forth her sons. Wow, isn't that interesting? As soon as she travailed. And the Lord goes on to say, Shall I bring to the point of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord? Or shall I give delivery but shut the womb, says the Lord? 
Because Israel at times seemed on the precipice of becoming a nation again with the Balfour Declaration. It gets kind of technical, and I don't want to get too technical in this message, that they were trying to become a nation, but the nations weren't allowing it. Israel had, was promised by England that we're going to help you become a nation. And they were such a world power then, but then the promise kind of went by the wayside. And that comes from an invention that a Jew had made that had really blessed England and helped them in their war efforts, and then they reneged on it. But guess what? Nobody else really wanted to help her much. Some did, a couple of nations, but it wasn't going to happen. And then guess what happened? Israel was in travail, deep travail, almost annihilated from the planet, from their existence during the Holocaust. The Nazis killed by the testimony of one of their leaders at the Nuremberg trials admitted that we, they killed at least 6 million Jews. And they were in 20 different countries rounding up Jews trying to exterminate every Jewish person on earth. Hitler was. He was a demoniac. We have all kinds of evidence from his own testimonies that he was possessed by a demonic entity. That was Satan's at war with, with, God's, with God's plan and his prophetic people. And guess what? I have footage I'll probably show next week of you have all these Muslims when he's in Muslim lands going like this to Hitler. They're working with him to catch the Jews. It's the same satanic spirit, guys. Now, it's imperative that we understand the bigger picture here. I mean, you should, you should be sharing Isaiah 66, 8 with people, you know? Because guess what happened after the Holocaust and the world got wind of the fact that they were almost exterminated as a people? They would have been if the Nazis had taken over the world. God wasn't going to let that happen, though. But guess what? The nations had a change of heart just for a second, just for a little bit of time of sympathy toward Jews. And they voted in Resolution 181 to allow them to become a nation again. And that happened. And as soon as they stepped foot, officially becoming a nation, Islamic nations, Muslim nations all around them, you know, went to war with them. Jordan and Egypt, Syria, just, and it became, they tried to annihilate them right there. Then you have the 67 war because the, the, the Jerusalem was partitioned off. And then they said, okay, well, we're going to take back that part, what Blong says anyway, and that's where you all are trying to wipe us out. Then the 73, now we've got this war. It's been a number of wars. It's really amazing when you consider this. Now, the Lord promises uh, that he'd bring them back in a state of unbelief first. Some will say, well, he brings them back. It says, you know, he'll restore Israel and they'll be saved and stuff. No, it says in, a, in chapter 36, which you don't have time to read, that he'll bring them back into the land. And then he says, then, after that, then they'll be converted to faith. Okay? So that's the order in which he says he brings them back. Uh, and it's also important. You remember the Valley of Dry Bones? You can read about that in Ezekiel 37. You remember that song? Uh, you know, what is it? Whatever bone attached to the whatever bone. I, I never really learned it by heart, you know. I'm thankful I didn't, you know, but no, just kidding. Uh, that song was inspired by the, no, it wasn't inspired by this prophecy. I'm teasing. But it's kind of interesting because he, Ezekiel sees all these different bones just rise up out of the grave and attach to one another, right? And they're just all attaching, and then flesh begins to clothe the people. And it's a picture that God gives of Ezekiel because Israel just seems as dead as dead. They'll never become a nation again. Then the Lord gives the explanation. He says to me, he says, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, uh, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Uh, when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people, I will put my spirit within you, 
And it subsequently he gives them life after he brings them back to the land, you know. And at chapter 36 is even more clear. He brings them back to the land. Then they become believers eventually. And many of them have become believers, but most of them haven't because we have Jacob's trouble, the tribulation period coming up. But that's why he says in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 22, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations. So some will say, well, it says Israel will become a nation again. Yeah, I know, but guess what? How come the United Nations and stuff did that? That's what my Bible says. The nations. He says, I will lift up my hand to the nations and set up my standard to the peoples, and they will bring your sons in their bosom, and your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. The nations are going to I'm going to use the nations. It's work. So what Satan meant for evil in the Holocaust, God turned for good and says, guess what? I'm going to bring them back into their homeland. By the way, Guys, there's almost 50 Muslim nations, and most, probably all of these nations, or most of them, Hamas could go live anywhere, or I should say, the Palestinian people. Jordan's right there, Egypt, but Jordan, Egypt, nope, you can't come in here. Got a bunch of Muslim nations all over the place now. Islam became a religion six centuries after Christ by Muhammad, okay, who was a false prophet. And, but they became a, guess what? How come they get this little strip of land? Which, by the way, their infrastructure is terrible, but you know why? Where's all their money spent? Israel's not attacking so-called Palestine. Where's all their money going? To make missiles and stuff, guys. I mean, Hamas is taking sewer pipes that should be used for sewer, creating disease by stealing the sewer pipes of the citizens and cutting them up and and making missiles out of them. They strap bombs to little kids. Israel shelters their civilians with missiles, not attacking anybody. But as you know, Hamas shelters their missiles with kids and people. In fact, Hamas has headquarters on hospitals and in schools for little kids. They hate, they hate Israel more, as it's been said by one of their former leaders, they hate Jews more than they love their own children. This is demonic, guys. The Bible says Satan is a murderer from the beginning and that he's the father of lies. This is spiritual. And I'm going to get into it next time when we talk about all these different times Satan has tried to destroy Israel. Why? First, because he knew the seed was going to come out of the Messiah. That, that was prophesied early in Genesis. Amen? That the Messiah would come forth from the woman, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. So he's tried to stop it. He couldn't stop it. Now he's trying to stop the second coming. But the Lord comes back to Israel right? But if Israel doesn't exist, he can't come back. You understand? So Satan wants to destroy Israel. And he actually makes war against Christ when he comes back in Israel as he surrounds the enemy, surrounds the Armageddon, surrounds the nation of Israel, right? And fights Christ at his second coming. This, there's a spirit behind all of this which is so important to understand. Now, archaeologically, by the way, historically, you guys, there was no Arab Palestinian people until modern times. This is what most people miss. They think, oh, the Palestinians have been there for thousands of years and that they've occupied that land. And it just blows me away. Do you know, archaeologically, we have what's been discovered earlier this year, what's called the cursed tablet. I should say last year it was discovered, the cursed tablet. And that's right when they came into the promised land, the Jews. And I don't have time to get into it, but that's going to be part of our video that comes up. And it's the first time you see this Hebrew Semitic writing. 
It's a trip. And the first time you see the name Yahweh, they're still verifying it with forensics. But it's, it's, I don't have time to get into where they found it and everything out, Mount Ebal and all that. It's pretty crazy when you think about it. It's like, whoa, this is right where they came to the land. And, they, and, and God put, well, I can't get into it. It's take too long. But we'll get into it another time. But they have this cursed tablet. It was about 3,500 years old or so when they first came to the land, 33, 34, 3,500 years. Uh, people debate the actual years. We have evidence of King David existed from 3,000 years ago. The land was called Judea by the Romans and the Greeks. In fact, where do you think all this history took place in your Bible? On some place on the moon? No. That's where it all took place. They've been around for centuries and centuries. And it's just amazing. So what is important to keep in mind, too, is, and I think it's important, uh, I'm going to read a little bit of Hamas's charter because people mention it. This is on the destruction of Israel. By the way, Reverend Farrakhan would hang out with Reverend, with Reverend Wright, Obama's pastor, way back in the day when he was senator, just before he became president. And uh, he'd go to Muslim lands, Obama's pastor, and they had the Hamas charter printed in their bulletin at the so-called Christian church way back then. And you know what? The Hamas charter says Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. That's part of the Hamas charter. So they're not just like, oh, we just want a better life for our people. They want to obliterate Israel. Why? Because Israel is this little chunk of land. You have 50 countries that are Islamic. You have 22 Arabic nations. One little Jewish nation. Size of a postage stamp by comparison. And they want that obliterated. Because guess what? Judgment Day, they teach, cannot come until Israel is destroyed. Do you keep, you keep hearing that on the secular news? Are you hearing that? No, you're not hearing the truth. Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it. This is their charter, the Hamas's charter, just as it obtained or obliterated others before it. There is no uh, solution, they state, Article 13. Now, that's a preamble that I just quoted from. Article 13 says there is no solution to the Palestinian problem except by jihad. Initiatives, proposals, and international conferences are, put, are but a waste of time, no, an exercise in futility, Okay. Uh, Article 7, the day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fight Jews and kill them. Then the Jews will hide behind the rocks and trees, and the rocks and trees will cry out, Oh, Muslim, there is a Jew hiding behind me. Come and kill him. By the way, that is cited all in mosques all over the world, all the time. This is important to understand. This is a satanic thing that's going on. It's not, there's nothing like that in these charters about any other nation in the world. So what's happening is, this uh, people don't understand the Muslim line. It's not about ethnicity. We, we love people from other ethnic groups. By the way, Arabs, when I meet Arab Christians that love Jesus, they're some of those beautiful people on the planet. And there's a lot of, lot of, lot of, lot of Muslims who are cultural Muslims who aren't like going to go kill people to get 72 virgins, who are very hospitable, can show kindness, and aren't you know, bent on killing a bunch of people. We're not talking about ethnicity. We're talking about a religious system now, which is a spirit which God knew would happen. It was part of Satan's game plan because the prince of Persia is a demonic entity in the book of Daniel that the archangel Michael and Daniel had fought against, and he was over Persia, Iran, and there's a, there's a spiritual war going on, and this spirit has infused through Islam a false prophet who claims that Jesus did not die for our sins and he's not the son of God. He's just a prophet, which is what the Bible calls the spirit of Antichrist and says, who is the Antichrist? But the one that denies the father and the son. They say, Allah can't be a father. It's that whole spirit there. I'm jumping around now, which I didn't want to jump around too much, but are you still following me? Oh, 
Okay, so uh, I have several more quotes like that, but uh, I'm not going to use here. Uh, but let me just quote. These are, these are scholars who believe that the Palestinians should have their own land and be their own people and so forth, but admit their history. See, there wasn't this... You guys. Okay, how do I explain this quickly? When you think about it, uh, in 70 AD, there was the diaspora, amen? Some Jews were still there in the land. Then in 135 you had another revolt and by the Jews that were still there. And then the Romans came in and just pretty much almost obliterated all of them, and they were dispersed even more. And in 135, the emperor decided to change the name to what we call Palestine today. But it was a play on the word Philistia. Palestinian, right, is like an Arab for Philistia, the Philistines. The Philistines... Uh, you could say, well, yeah, the Philistines were there a long time ago, though, right? The Arabs don't say we're the Philistines. They came, the Philistines came from Greece. They came from Crete. They settled there about a thousand years before Christ. About, you know, uh, hundreds of years after Israel had already become occupying the land, the Philistines occupied what's now known as the Gaza Strip area. They were a seafaring people, okay? If you study the Philistines, you just, they don't exist anymore. They were Europeans, these are Arabs who originated from Arabia, not from that strip of land right there in Israel, right? Yeah. And many of them came during the Ottoman Empire when, when the Muslims were ruling the world and settled there, and many have come since. Many came after the Jews came back to land, and they turned what was a desert and swamps full of malaria that nobody wanted all this land, for the most part. They, they got rid of all the swamps, they dried them up, and now it's, you take a look at an aerial map, you look at throughout the, that, the Middle East, and guess what? You see this desert, but you see this green patch of beauty, man, exporting vegetables and flowers and everything. But then all kinds of immigrants, Arab immigrants, came in during that time. Now, many left because when Israel came in, 1948, May 14th, they were told by Muslim nations, get out of there because we're going to destroy Israel when they, be, when they take hold of their land. And they took off. And then when they wanted to come back, Israel said, no, you left. This, we came back to our land, and you left waiting for us to be destroyed. They looked at them as hostiles. It was very, very complex. But guess what? Those in the land of Gaza right now, they weren't there historically, Okay. Uh, they, they, most of them are Arabs, and many of them are still Jews even, okay, that are that in that land. And that was a patch of land that was belonged to the Philistines. They took it over, by the way. They immigrated to it. There's no Philistines anymore, guys. There's no, their gene pool is gone. It's not in the blood of the people that are in that land right now, okay? Israel has had that land and lost it and had it and lost it and had it for 3,500 years, guys. It's important to know the history, isn't it? It's important to know the history. And I wanted you to know the history. And listen, uh, I'm going to quote from a number of, a few historians, brief quotes that are pro-Palestinian, thinking, yeah, they should have their own land right there and so forth. This is from Khalidi, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Rashid Khalidi, his 1997 book, Palestinian Identity, the Construction of Modern National Consciousness. And he warns, he cautions uh, against uh, Palestinians who uh, would, you know, claim that, well, this has been our land forever, you know, against this, this overstatement and points out that their existence there is relative, quote, unquote, relatively modern, okay? 
Uh, James L. Gelvin argues that the Palestinian nationalists, and this is from his book, The Israeli-Palestinian Conflict, 100 Years of War. Uh, Gelvin states, the Palestinian nationalism emerged during the interwar period in response to Zionism, Zionist immigration and settlement. In other words, they got their national identity as the Jews were trying to come back to the land. In the early 1900s, they began to galvanize an identity. They weren't even an identity. Uh, as they never, they've never been a nation, guys. Okay, David Sheldon, uh, in a political dictionary, economic dictionary of the Middle East, states the creation of Palestinian identity is the contemporary, in the contemporary sense, was formed essentially during the 1960s with the creation of the Palestinian Liberation Organization. It galvanized in the 1960s, guys, with the PLO. Benny Morris in, in Righteous Victims writes that the Arabs in Palestine uh, remain in a, a large part uh, part of the pan-Arab or alternately. Uh, pan-Islamic movement, okay? So I wanted to give you, so if I tried to give you all the prophecies of things that are happening right now and going to happen, it would be very, very uh, difficult to get all the prophecies in and go into what Hamas is about, the history of the Gaza Strip, the Philistines versus what's now called the Palestinians. By the way, you know why the emperor called it Philistine land, Palestine? Because he was so upset with the Jews because of the revolt in 135 he was so ticked off he's going to punish them by naming it. Not Israel. It's not because historically the Roman emperors, they called it Judea. That was Judea. Jewish, right? Then he said, I'm going to call it Philistine land to punish them. It was a slight against the Jews. And isn't it ironic now that the Palestinians, oh, they look at, it's a thorn in the whole. Wow. It's, it's amazing what's going on. Am I going too fast? Are you with me? Okay. Does it all make sense so far? Okay, so uh, we have this awesome, awesome God of prophecy. Now, when I read it from a scripture that he said he'd bring them back to the nations, right? This is important. Is I went with Ted Walker. I think it was my first or second trip there. And like I said, I've had opportunities that I just thank the Lord for because I prayed, God, give me just bless our fellowship. He took me, and I was there by myself with Ted, and he took me on to, to Haifa at the port there where huge ships are coming in with Jews coming back in the land, which is still happening this day. Thousands and thousands of Jews have been coming back on these ships, and I get on the ship packed with Jews from Russia, and they speak Russian. And I'm like, I can't believe it. I'm seeing prophecy fulfilled. The Gentiles, Gentiles are using these ships to bring them back. The nations, just like the Bible says. And we go up there before they leave the ship. And I get to meet different Jews with Ted. And I get to talk to them. And Ted's translated in Hebrew and so forth. And it's just beautiful. And then Ted shows them the scripture. Look, God would use the nations to bring you back into the land. This is happening, you know. And he says, and we put a couple of their kids on our shoulders. And he says, look, the Gentiles would bring you, your, your sons and daughters back on their shoulders. They took pictures of us with their kids on our shoulders. It was so cute. And you know what's a trip? Later, Ted meets some people. And by the way, I didn't stop there. I'm like, Ted, i got to read this to him. I read them Isaiah 53. Ted translated it in Hebrew and explained it and witnessed to me, translated me, telling them that Jesus is their Messiah. Just like this prophecy is fulfilled in Isaiah, that the nations would bring back, and you're fulfilling prophecy right now, and they're tripping out on that. They didn't know that. They're like, what? You're in this book, by the way. Look, it says you'd come here. You know? Can you imagine that? You're coming here like your whole life, and you're like, that would be so comforting. Then I showed them Isaiah 53. Your Messiah died for you. He paid for your sins. All of us like sheep of God and straight, but the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all upon him. And I just shared it in love and so forth. Well, years later, 
Ted and Linda had started, I don't know, four or five different pro-life offices. One of the uh, main works that had been done there for pro-life in Israel was by them. And what's crazy is uh, he was working with some people. And he's working for them. They recognized Ted. These were the kids of those folks had since turned to Messiah. And they were working in the pro-life movement for Israel to save other Jewish kids. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is so good, guys. And it's like the prophecies keep going. So the thing is, is what's the message today? This is going to happen, but what the enemy means for evil gives us an opportunity to bring people to Christ. Amen. Don't lose your opportunity. Be a witness. Tell people about Jesus. Amen. Are you telling people about the Messiah? We need to be telling, sharing the gospel with people. Amen. We have, we have the word of God. We're able to say, hey, look, it says this would happen and this would happen. If I told you that Mexico would be, you know, dispersed throughout all the world and they'd be not existent for 70 years and then they'd become a nation again after, or for almost 2,000 years, become a nation again, it happened. And then all the nations of the world would come against Israel and so forth. And I'm sorry, come against Mexico and everything. And I went all, all these prophecies and everything else and they'd lose their language. Then they'd recover Spanish again and all these other things. And you'd be like, yeah, right. Well, that's why God says, it, it's going to seem like a strange thing, but I'm going to make it happen. He's made it happen. That same God promises you that if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved from hell and you'll have eternal life. Amen. Isn't that good news? Amen. Are you trusting Jesus? If you're not trusting Jesus, he died for your sins. He rose again and conquered the grave. If you want to have eternal life, you must put your faith in Christ. If you're listening to me now, don't turn back because the evidence is here. God is real and you need to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Let's all stand up. Pass out the cup and the bread because I'm a little bit over. I am so glad I didn't try to get into the future that's going to happen priests, you know, on the prophetic clock until next week because we would never got it in. It's good to see you guys. He's so good. We love you and praise God for you. And uh, we have such an awesome God. And he reigns. Amen. So next week, you might want to bring a friend because... Uh, this was more of a, a little bit of a history lesson with some prophecy, because prophecy becomes history. It's a trip, right? Next uh, week, we'll be looking more at, and it's all lining up, by the way. And, and how does this prophetic, if it's not the end? Jesus said you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but the end is what? Not yet. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. The end is not yet. Don't be alarmed. Don't freak out. Freak out. A lot of people are freaking out. A lot of professing Christians. There'll be earthquakes in different places. We were in Texas when a lot of this started going down, and strange earthquakes in different places. We're like, wow, you know, there'll be signs of the sun and the moon and the stars. It was supposed to be an eclipse yesterday. Did anybody see that? You saw it? Where was I, man? I was so busy yesterday. But it's just crazy. All things going down are pretty crazy. But these things are birth pains, right? And right now what's happening is Hamas never thought we're going to take over Israel with this assault. You know what they thought? We're going to create more. We want to break any kind of accord with Arabia, Saudi Arabia and Israel for sure. That was part of it probably. But guess what? We're going to... We're going to cause more and more world hatred against the Jews, which will lead up ultimately to what? Armageddon. That's all part of it, guys. Father God, we thank you that the greatest thing about all of this, if there is a silver lining, there is, is that Jesus did say the hearts of many would fail them for fear of things coming on the earth, which is so sad, Father. But he turned to his apostles and his disciples, his followers, and says to them not to fear. Don't be alarmed. He told them, when you see these things begin to come to pass, look up for your redemption, your salvation is drawing closer. And then when you see all these things come to pass, you know that I'm at the door. Father, we thank you that these events 
are not your doing, but your response to the wickedness of humanity as far as your wrath comes. It's your doing, Father, but it's not. Your word says you don't afflict the sons of men willingly. Father, we pray that people would repent so they don't have to suffer your wrath. And I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus, that they can escape your eternal wrath in hell if they embrace Jesus Christ right now as our Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you for the bread, which represents the greater bread, your Son from heaven, who gave himself for us. And we thank you for the cup, which represents his precious blood that was shed for us. If you do not know Jesus, don't take this unless you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. And if you're a believer but you're backslidden, you need to repent because it says it could be, you, could, you can be sick and even die if you take it in an unworthy manner. Just make sure your heart's right with Jesus and say, God, have mercy on me. Father, we thank you for the bread and we partake it with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Father God, we love you and we thank you for the precious cup. And uh, we just thank you for the precious blood of Jesus who loved us so much he gave himself for us and that he allowed himself to partake of your wrath so we wouldn't have to, so we could partake of his life now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. And by the way, we had a wedding yesterday that was so beautiful, and it was, and, and we, you know, it was wonderful, but there was a wedding that took place a while back that was, is equally as beautiful, because we love both of them, and that's Chuck and Linda over here. Give them a hand. Praise the Lord. Congratulate them. <laughs>